Let's do this, Mr. Lockhart. What's, What's up, everybody? What's going on? Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Is we're having a, a great conversation tonight. Show um, it's uh, the tragedy of racism in black and white. <laughs> so, uh, talking about the Ahmad Arbery story as well as uh, racism within this country, uh, the tragedy of it, and we have a great guest panel here with us joining us tonight. So uh, let me go ahead and get introduce them. Uh, for starters, I said I was going to say it, His Imperial Majesty, uh, Mr. <laughs> Richard Graves, co-host of the Thirteen Percent, is here with us this evening. How are you, sir? I'm fine, sir. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. <laughs> hey, it's a pleasure to have you, man. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, stepping in for us this evening as well, we have the Shana Marie. Uh, Shanna Marie, excuse me, Shanna Marie, who's joining us um, as a avid contributor to your friendly neighborhood atheist. How are you tonight? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Fantastic. Fantastic. And we couldn't do the show if it wasn't uh, for the host of your friendly neighborhood Aww. atheist who is uh, sponsoring the show and launching his his channel for uh, for the evening uh, for the first time tonight. Uh, YFNA News on YouTube. Please welcome the Ethan Michael. How are you, sir? The Ethan Michael. I like that. Can, can I just <laughs> point out? That you have a Superman hat and you have a Superman shirt. We, we should have lined this up so Did I had a Superman attire too. I had a woman shirt too. This this could See, have been. We could have all been Kryptonians for the day. We could have been. <laughs> <laughs> we could have been. Hey, so um, tonight we are having uh, a, a difficult discussion or conversation that just really needs to be had after the events of the Ahmad uh, Aubrey case uh, came to to light. Uh, via the video that everybody has seen that has gone viral now with some new development. So we're going to get into that a little bit, but I want to make sure that everybody is aware uh, with a bit of a disclaimer. Uh, the conversation that we're uh, that we're going to have, it can be a bit triggering for, yes. for some people. It can be uncomfortable for some people. Um, and it's a conversation that still needs to be had. Uh, we can't move forward unless we have that conversation. So please know that the discussion tonight will get will be a little bit triggering, but be prepared for that also. Uh, we are asking that as you comment and um, uh, share your questions uh, on your on this live stream, please remember to be respectful. Uh, you know, we're having an adult conversation of things that need to be had. Um, if you are not going to abide by being respectful, then you got to go. Uh, that's just yes. the, the end of it. Um, but at the end of the day, it's definitely a conversation, an uncomfortable one, but a conversation nonetheless that needs to be had. So with that, I invite you to share this on your page, start a watch party, get your friends and family involved. In fact, I know that there are some people who weren't able to, par, uh, to to share this or this whole scenario or case on their page because of intimidation. Um, so it's it's definitely something that we we as a as a as a country need to start having. And we're glad that you can be here and join in with us. So uh, thanks for joining us. Let's get started with um, just a little bit of a background um, for everybody so that they know kind of who we are. Uh, I am Rick, co-host of Colorful Circle. That's Colorful, F-U-L-L, -L, Circle with Rick and Al. Uh, my fiance and partner couldn't be with us, but is sending his best wishes. Uh, the platform is a uh, opportunity to have conversations about things that impact the communities that we identify with. So for us, whether it's being Black, being male, being gay, being Christian or human, we look to have those conversations and provide a full circle um, resource for for that. Uh, you can find us on um, Apple, iTunes, podcasts, as well as uh, iHeartRadio. Just search under um, Intellectual Radio Talk under the podcast section and look for Colorful Circle. Um, Mr. Richard Graves, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, where you're from, and a little bit about your show that you host, that you co-host. Let me say, your co-host has said that it's her birthday today. She's asking for us to sing. Happy oh, birthday, Cynthia. She said, she said she wants a song, but I'm, I'm, that's neither here nor there. We'll get to that. But happy birthday, Cynthia. Go ahead, Richard. Tell us a little bit about your show. 
Uh, well, we uh, host a show called The 13%. Um, Cynthia McDonald is my co-host, and she is very, uh, very intelligent, very good co-host, and always good to have conversations with. And her opinions, I always find um, both um, educational and also entertaining because she knows how to put it out there. Yes, she does. She is such yes, does. such a smart, intelligent woman. Really, yeah, so really, I enjoy. Really. I'm looking forward to us uh, continuing, you know, doing our show uh, every other Wednesday. Um, I don't have all the information how to link it, but I usually have it up on my Facebook page. She has it on hers. We have it on our blog platform. So, you know, uh, mine is the Richard Graves Group blog platform, and you can find the show there. Um, I am, by academic discipline, a political scientist, a theologian, and a historian. Um, I have a master's degree in religious uh, studies and biblical studies. I have a master's degree in history, American history with emphasis in social history, and I'm a PhD candidate in the public policy program. So um, that's what I do. Um, I'm also a DJ and a former Marine. Uh, so um, I appreciate that DJ Mix while I was getting ready for the show today, sir. Thank <laughs> you so much for that. I'm follow him on SoundCloud. <laughs> yeah, follow me on SoundCloud. That is uh, Richard Graves, his Imperial Majesty. That's my my DJ name. So that's why I don't want people to. Yeah, I, I don't want people to think that I. I'm probably am probably related to some emperor somewhere, but um, I don't claim any any throne any throne at this time. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for that, Richard. And then, uh, Shannon, tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of where you're from, your background as well. I guess my um, educational discipline would be education itself. I have a bachelor's degree in elementary education. I have a focus also to teach middle school. I taught um, in Joliet at seventh and eighth grade levels. I taught science in an inclusion room, which means that special education was also a part of the classrooms I taught. So I taught in a room that had both general education students and special education students taught within the same classroom. It was a two teacher taught system. So I was responsible for bringing the general education. So I brought the science knowledge, so to speak, to the table. I also worked with a co-teacher who was more trained in special ed training and would modify the curriculum. Although I also have an endorsement for teaching special education as well. Um, currently, I am not in the classroom. I am getting a master's degree in instructional education for e-learning, so putting education online and creating um, instructional materials on a web-based format is kind of what I'm transferring my degree into currently. Nice. Okay. Sounds good. And now, Ethan hosting the shows, the several shows that you have, tell us a little bit about uh, all of what you have going on and the launch of your new channel on YouTube. Uh, so I'll just I'll just make it quick because I, I don't want to go too much into what I'm doing. Let's just say, uh, you know, through this quarantine, uh, I started streaming and then I just started streaming a lot more and I turned it into, you know, the enjoying entertainment. So if you like the entertainment side, you could go to uh, YouTube and go to search dark media. If you like the religious side, you can go to um, uh, your friendly neighborhood atheist, or if you like political or socio-political news and all other topics like the 13%, uh, you can see them here on YFNA news. So pretty exciting, but Rick, I gotta say, this is a intense topic. And I will say this is the first time I think I've seen you, you, your, your look right now, it, it saddens me, but, and that, that's the thing. 
while this entire situation is so so frustrating to deal with, I can't even fathom what it is like to be in your or Richard's position and having to deal with this day in and day out because it, it does piss me off. And I, I'm a white dude, so I don't know what you – I'm not going to pretend to know how you feel. But – Well, hey, that's appreciated, Ethan. I, uh, I just had a, a point, a, t- a technical point here. I think that they're – uh i'm not sure if they're if they're able to see this on on facebook but i hear that it's up on youtube so hopefully they're able to see this on on facebook as well but i see the comments are kind of people are checking in now and that's really great to see that uh that people are joining in in this in this conversation and discussion um hey here's the thing you know when the when the video first aired uh i think unfortunately it it hit a lot of people it hit black people it hit white people um it it definitely portrayed uh or exposed something that has been a reality for um, for black people in general uh, for for decades, for centuries, right? We have uh, the issue of race, and and one of the things I think that for this particular discussion, I was I was it, to me I wanted to use quotes around an uncomfortable conversation. The reason for that is because for black people, this is not an uncomfortable conversation. We've been having this conversation. We have this conversation. We have to be cognizant of racial issues, right. whereas. For uh, for white Caucasian Americans, it's one of those privileges. You don't have to be cognizant about race, so you, the, the 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 conversation then becomes uncomfortable uh, to have. But I don't know, Richard. Let me let me ask you, man. How did you when you saw the video? How did you how did you feel? How did you react? You know, what were kind of some of your initial reactions there? Well, when I first saw the video, you know, I was you know I was trying to you know discern what exactly happened and trying to see you know obviously you know. A lot of people say I need to see more, you know, in order to determine what's going on. But I was trying to get before I actually emotionally responded. I wanted to see what the facts, what actually happened. Um, now we have some context in it, and it saddens me because uh, you know we see ourselves in other African Americans, obviously people who look like us. We see our children, we see our nephews, we see our our sons. You know, so um, it is disturbing because the first thing you worry about is, you know, is this some, you know, it's just more the same thing. You know, um, you know, somebody killing a black person with impunity. And of course, then we go through the basic things of people trying to rationalize it or minimize it or um, deflect and talk about black and black crime. So all the normal things happen. So I was just preparing for that. But it is it, what disturbed me the most is in our current social political environment that as soon as this happened, you know, you can, the, cons- the, the the right-wingers are going to try to find a reason to blame the black guy. You know, the left is going to take it as from the perspective of, you know, another minority shot dead by, you know, people I- either in law enforcement or wanting to be law enforcement. So it just disturbed me on a few levels, you know, and um, the more I hear about it, you know, the more, you know, now you got this video going around saying he was walking through a construction site house and people justifying him getting shot because of that. And then, of course, you have all the uh, YouTube slash Facebook slash Twitter um, law enforcement experts and use of force experts to come along with their narrative. So it's just disturbing that, you know, we can't even have a human discussion without politicizing it. I saw your uh, your post about the YouTube University uh, degree. I thought that was that was perfect because you know everybody has their their videos out on YouTube uh, that makes them an expert on things now. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Shanna, let me let me ask you a question. Um, I'm curious to kind of get your perspective on this <clears throat> because you know Ethan and I we spoke a little bit about this. Uh, this is kind of what sparked the show. Uh, he had only been exposed to a few posts from you know it's kind of like his black friends, right? Yeah. That's where he saw the the post, and and even then it was you know not not triggering enough. <clears throat> let me ask, how did you come across seeing the video? Like where where did you see it? How did you how did you react? Um, I would say the same black friends, um, specifically former coworkers. So former black educators actually are the shared it on Facebook. That's the first place I saw it. Um, to me, I think you're absolutely right when you say that this is an uncomfortable situation for Caucasians. This is not something African-Americans get to opt out of. I worked in a highly diverse school system. I've seen this, you know, I can't say that when I see that video, I see myself, but I see my former students, you know, that that's who I see when I see that video that, yeah. and I, they don't get to opt out of these conversations. Most of the most uncomfortable race conversations I had were when I was an educator because I worked with middle school students and they have uncomfortable conversations about everything. Right. So yes, you, had the, you know, we had every difficult conversation under the sun and especially working with some students in special education. I had my behavioral disorder students in there too. Uncomfortable topics are just, you know, territory in middle school. And it's something that those children don't get to ignore. I'm part Hispanic and I can say that, you know, I, it's something I got to ignore because I have the privilege of having very pale skin. When people look at me, they don't assume I'm Mexican. So when I walk down the street and people say racist comments, I can walk past it because I don't, people don't necessarily get to pinpoint it at me. Other people don't have that privilege. And the problem is, is that other Caucasians won't admit this. They won't say that racism is still there. They, it's an uncomfortable situation and they just want to turn away from it. And that is the problem. You know, speaking of that, turning away from it, I'm, I'm curious, Ethan or, or Shanna, you know, at, at the time that the, I found it for me personally, um, not hurtful, but I guess surprising, let's say it's surprising that after the video was posted, the video came out, there became this, you know, kind of outrage about it. I posted on my page and I had several friends who would go and comment and, and talk about how dreadful this is and how horrible this is and, you know, this and that. But I would go to their page and not see a post about it. You find it ironic that you know you 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 look at you know maybe your your white friend, family of friends, Caucasian family of friends, who have not really spoken out about this at all. What do you do about that? That's a tough one, and I will say I'm I am a little saddened. Now I, I guess there's two parts to this. For one, I, I hate to say ignorance, but the first part was I, I when I saw this, I, I didn't actually look at the video. It, I, I saw some comments and I'm like, okay, I, I got to remember to look into this. And it was when you called me afterwards that I watched that video and my jaw just, it just dropped. It's like, this is not, this is not acceptable. Like th why, why is this happening? Oh, never mind. I, I'm going to go into a rant and I don't want to, but, <laughs> but I guess my, my, where I was going with is I will say it kind of saddens me because there are many white people I'm seeing that are outright refusing to come on camera. Like I, to give you an example, I had text messages said, look, I, I support what you're doing. I'm glad you're doing it, but I, I just can't be a part of it. And it's like, 
what do you mean you can't be a part of this? This this is not a just a race issue. This is a humanitarian issue. Like we need, a, as you said to me, Rick, it is up to the oppressors to start stepping forward on behalf of the oppressed. Although I probably butchered the way you explained it. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's close enough. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't use the term oppressors and oppressed. That phrase. That? That, that was that, that was still, yeah. That was mine. Yeah, that phraseology of oppressors and oppressed shuts down the conversation real quick. Okay. And um, the reason it does is you have to understand historically in America the way people see race and racism. Right? They see it as black people were once slaves. Now you're not. Get over it. And Whenever we bring up anything, you know, well, slavery was over in 1865 without acknowledging the, the history of Jim Crow, without acknowledging the history of the civil rights movement. So you have to choose your phraseology in order to try to get people to understand when you want them to understand. You know, so and, uh, what, would, what the, should I have said or what would be? In, in uh, let, let, me, let me just to clarify. That was actually a quote that I, I, had, I had taken from uh, somewhere can't remember where, but the, the quote was, it's not up to uh, the oppressed community to change the behaviors of the oppressor. It's, it's, it's the onus is on the oppressors uh, to, to change that behavior amongst themselves. Right, right. And I think in this particular case, I would say that um, it's a majority minority thing. The majority population has a comfort that the minority population doesn't. Minority yeah, population has to live within a structure where we have to constantly acknowledge and understand the majority culture. Um, we have to understand white people to function in American society. White people as a majority have the privilege of not having to understand anything about us. Yeah. And therefore that causes the disconnect. They can disconnect themselves away from the situations because they're not realities to them because they don't deal with it every day. And unfortunately, because of the politicization in our country, it is still an us versus them dynamic. So black people, we are considered by white society, not every white individual. Let me make this clear. White individual racism is not what we're talking about. We're not talking about someone being individual racist. We're not talking about, you know, some, you know, that all white people hate black people. And that's the defenses I normally get when this is brought up. You know, we could say one thing. Well, you're saying all white people hate black people. No, we're not saying that. No, not at all. So that's why I'm always just specific in saying that we're talking about systems and institutions and a culture that's predicated on the idea of white supremacy. American culture, American society is predicated on the idea of white male superiority. That is a historical fact. There is no debating or arguing it. And once people accept that predicate, then they understand the systems and institutions that serve this country were built in that worldview. And that has not been dismantled. Now, the cultural aspect that we're talking about is regard to not seeing blacks as human. So when a white person sees that video, it's a black person. They're not humanizing them, all right? Because they don't have to. We as African-Americans are taught to humanize white people because they're a majority. We have to, because we have to interact. Whites, a lot of time, are not taught to humanize black people. And even if they know a black person in their small town or, you know, in their in their neighborhood, that person is different because you always hear them say black people this well, except for Bob who lives around the corner of his family because they humanize the individual blacks. They know yep. but they don't see us as a group. And unfortunately, the myth of America, the mythology of America, I should say that America is a white Christian country and we're allowed to stay here. 
So anytime we speak up, we're guests here as far as the culture is concerned. So it's like, just be happy we allow you to be here, which is part of the reason he saw that anger towards Colin Kaepernick. You know, be happy that we let you play this game and make these millions of dollars entertain us. We don't want to hear about your problems. So that that's it, you know, so yeah. that's where we're at with this. I would like to say that I absolutely support what Colin Kaepernick does. I support anybody because I'm sorry, kneeling is absolutely uh, the freedom of what America was founded on. You can choose to kneel during the national anthem. You can set out for the pledge. That is what American freedom is. Kneeling well, is also by far peaceful protest. So anybody wants to argue against that, I don't really see where the argument is. Well, I mean, when we talk about the the several examples of protesting that have taken place over the past, uh, what, couple of weeks with the attempt to reopen states and country and um, how those protests went, you know, versus Colin Kaepernick taking a knee um, during the national anthem to to use his platform and people want to say that you know he's he's doing it for the uh, recognition and come up with all these other excuses but at the end of the day he 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 took that need to bring light using that platform to to light this very thing that that black people are uh in this country still being gunned down and killed and lives being being taken away right i know the black lives matter movement became just this whole politicized thing. But initially, you know, and, and Richard, I know we had some conversation about this once before, uh, Black Lives Matter, just that that phrase alone should have grabbed the most attention and stayed right there. That, you know, Black lives do matter and that it, we're, 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 we're a part of this, this country, you know, um, but we're not seen as, as, as that. But I know Richard, we, we, we were talking about Black Lives Matter and, and um, wanting to, have a, this rally within our community, but we have people like, shall we say her name, Candace Owens, who, uh, like, uh, you know. It's like summoning Satan, man. <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you who are watching that may not know, Candace Owens got on live and, and talked about uh, really disparaging the, the, whole, uh, the whole situation, the whole case. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, just, just tear it down, you know. Um, I don't. I don't know. I, like I can't even describe what she did. It was. It was so dis disturbing to see in a, in a way. But in her in her mind and her in her uh, stance, she was trying to, uh, uh, I guess, enlighten everyone on what the facts of the case were. Right here. 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 Here's some of the things of the facts of, of this case. These two men. They they attempted to um, to execute a citizen's arrest, <laughs> which is legal in Georgia. Right, but. You, it has to be a, a known felony taking place, if I remember correctly. May, um, may I? I can. I have it right in front of me. Please. Yeah, go ahead. What is that? In Georgia, the law states that a private person may arrest someone if a crime is committed in his presence. So right there, that's the first mm -hmm. problem. The crime yeah. was not committed in their presence. Exactly. Um, Or within his immediate knowledge. Well... One, we'd have to define immediate knowledge. And two, we don't know that it was committed in his, sorry, he wasn't right there. So there's no way to tie them together. And then, but if it is a felony, the citizen can stop someone from escaping if the citizen has reasonable and probable grounds of suspicion. This was not a felony. So right there, there is nothing legal 
about what they did. They they did well, not do anything under Georgia law. So correct. And it also well, says that they can detain. It doesn't say that they can pursue or gun down. Exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and that's why you know I try not to get let people get distracted by that. And let me explain. If he was committing a felony, if he was, all right. Problem is not you trying to your citizens arrest if that's what you want to do. The problem is the use of force. All right. Even a police officer cannot shoot you dead for suspicion of robbery. It's not legal in any state. Okay? Not supposed to. Not yeah, supposed not, to. Well, they can, but by the law, <laughs> by the law, you're not supposed to. They're not so supposed to. As yeah. a private citizen approaching another citizen, accusing them of something, um, and then gunning them down, creating a situation where they use deadly force. That's the part that's not justifiable in any way, shape, or form. You know, he would have to be, he was not armed, okay? The threat was caused because they confronted and tried to stop him, all right? He don't know why you're stopping him. You know, if you come up on me, I'm going to try to fight you too. You know, if I'm trying to do yes. All they had to do was, if they really thought he was doing something, just follow him, call the police, meet me here, I'm following this guy. He just robbed or did whatever. That's not what they did. So the discussion about the legality of it, this is a, this is a Candace Owens radical right wing trick that they always do. They always try to throw all these distractions and deflections to get away from the main point that they killed the man. And therefore, that was not justified. I don't care if he was stealing from a construction site. If he yes, was, it's not justified. Now, and, yep. and, and so that's what Candace Owens them try to do. They try to throw in all the deflection or let me deal with the number one deflection real quick. What about black on black crime? Right. Oh, I'm so tired oh. of hearing it. So oh, let me say, please. let me put this out there. Statistically, please most, put it out there, Richard. Yeah, most crime is committed between people of the same race. Most white people who are killed are killed by white people. Most black people who are killed are killed by black people. It's just that simple. Okay. Do is there are there areas that you know um, urban uh, African American areas no. where there's a crime like that? You know from the gang banging stuff like that, whatever it is, yes, it happens, All right? But that's not an either or situation. What we're talking about here is a citizen being killed by citizens under the auspices of them doing, um, you know, them upholding the law, you know? So a black man is always a suspect. Um, a black man doesn't have a right to jog. A black man, you know, can't walk with his Skittles and his, um, and his iced tea. You know, it'd be bad enough that this was law enforcement, but it was people the investigator did not have police powers because if he had police powers still, he would have been able to arrest him, period. But I he didn't have any former investigator, right? right? Right. Well, there are a lot of a lot of states where retired police officers still have police powers where they can arrest people. Um, gotcha. But he didn't have that. You know, so again, this is more the problem is not crime. You know, we could talk about black on black crime, which I hate the phrase is actually just called crime. Right. But. You know, they use it as a deflection in order to not talk about what we're looking at here. What we're looking at here is someone who decided on their own that they were going to stop and use deadly force on a person who had no weapon, who wouldn't have been a threat if you hadn't confronted him in the first place. Mm -hmm. And you were actually a threat. He was minding his business. If he thought he did something, call the police to follow him. It's just that simple. So, again, with the black on black crime thing, I'm just going to end it with this. That's a deflection also. 
you know, yeah. and I believe Candace Owens brought that up too. You know, people, what about black on black crime? What about Chicago? What about? I didn't even know who she was until somebody yeah. shared that video with me, man. I was like, and, and again, I was like, who is she? Um, but you know, I think also if if I can interject here with 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 the whole situation or scenario, um, we we wonder why we have a a distrust in the the legal system um, within our country. Not only were these two individuals uh, who who murdered uh, Ahmad absolutely free for ten weeks, like 10, 10, a little bit over ten weeks, right? Um, but now we're in a position where two of the prosecutors have recused themselves. Uh, because of their connection too, while also um, sharing the de uh, de 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 details or comments about about the whole situation, um, you know, I, I I find it remarkable that that it's it's always that we'll just trust the justice system, tr trust trust the judicial process when you literally have uh, a cover up very similar to what took place here in Chicago, um, as a friend of mine Joseph Young pointed out with the uh, Laquan McDonald case. Right where you had this cover-up that took place for a duration of time until it was exposed. Why? Where? Where is the, the the trust in the judicial system? How do we gain trust back in the judicial system when you consistently not only have the murder of um, innocent black lives, but you also have uh, the cover-up that continuously takes place? Uh, real quick, I want to touch on. It's a bit off topic, but if if you're watching right now in, in Rick's uh, watch party. Uh, if you want your comments to be seen on screen, either go to my page or the YouTube channel and comment there. Um, that's because he's a sponsor of tonight's show. Yeah, definitely check and follow no, Ethan. No, that's not what I meant. Well. I mean, uh, so when they comment, no, I'm being facetious. The, it's totally okay. It's when so they okay. comment in the watch party, it won't show up <laughs> on screen. So if you want your comments to be seen, uh, go to one of those platforms. Uh, I do appreciate all of you all who are tuned into my watch party too. Thanks so yes. much. Make sure you share this on your page as well. By the way, Rick, you just broke some viewing uh, simultaneous viewing records. So, I mean, but it, again, it's it's not it's us having this conversation, guys, because it, it needs to be had, and it's and I know that people want to have it. Uh, but again, like I said, I saw I, I saw like I, I think I mentioned earlier, uh, a friend of mine, a black guy, he he posted on his on his Facebook page about how his white friend saw the video, saw what happened but was intimidated by his close circle of family and friends and what they would say. Um, so he opted not to post on his page. Again, I, I, hey, hey, listen, I'm just, I, I'm gonna throw that out there. Um, again, if we don't have this conversation um, openly, right, we're never going to, to, to be able to make some changes. But, you know, Richard, I think when we talked about earlier um, before the show, you know, we, we, we kind of conversed about uh, the black community and the steps that, that the black community should be taking. And I think I, I love the point that, that you made about, you know, um, voting and holding our elected officials uh, accountable. Yes. Uh, give us a little bit of, of, of some perception of, of where you are with that, you know, kind of your, your outlook there. Well, you know, when we were talking about that, you know, I was simply saying that as a community, we need to do what we need to do for ourselves. And um, I'm not saying that that excuses any responsibility from the rest of society, but um, we need to vote people in and not just vote them in, but hold those people accountable to what exact public policy outcomes we want. And these have to be meat and potatoes things. This is not a Republican or Democrat thing. I think we talked about that. I said that as African-Americans or as Americans in general, I don't think you should vote Democrat or Republican. 
you should vote for a candidate that you can hold accountable, regardless of party that wants to serve the community that they're voted in to serve. And in this case, you know, this is not like with a regular law enforcement issue where you have a police aside from the judicial aspect, you said. See, all those judges and prosecutors that are in all the, 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 the um, state's attorney or district attorney they have down there, all them people should be voted out of office at the end of this. All right. Because that's holding them accountable because they're playing game. You know, in Chicago, we talked about with Anita Alvarez when she got voted out of office for the Laquan McDonald situation. She should have got voted out of office. And I'm glad. And that showed me what you can do when you get pissed off enough that you can get out there and do some actual action. Now, again, I would hope that they hold the new mayor and the new um, uh, state's attorney for Cook County accountable also and keep them accountable because that's the only way you get what you want. You know, if you don't hold them accountable, if you just keep voting them in, they're going to keep doing what they do. So you have to hold elected officials accountable. So in the aspect of what's going on in Georgia, I would hope that the African-Americans in that community remember election time when it's time to elect these judges and prosecutors, okay, and mayors or county board members so they can, you know, address how this whole situation went, why the police didn't arrest them, um, who's responsible for that. Elect a new mayor, fire the police chief. Simple as that. Hold people yeah. accountable. You know, I, I would hope that it is that simple, but I think that you know I, that also kind of depends on if the community down there is united in that in that front, right? I don't know what the the the, the demographics. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know what the demographics are down there. Down there. But Shadow, let me ask you a question because you know you've had experience in education, um, and yeah. I'm just just out of curiosity, right? Um, in in your experience with education. How do you, as you as you said, you know, you have uncomfortable conversations with, with the, the students that you that you, you you teach. How do you have this conversation, or do you even have it at all? Because I know in, in school systems you got you know the politics of what your your uh, curriculum is supposed to be, but right these are the, the the future. This is the future generation that's going to be involved in things like politics, things like um, racial concerns, and and you know how does that look in 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 the, in the classroom? Since I'm no longer a teacher there anymore, I'll say you're probably not supposed to have those conversations, but I definitely had them. Um, I think the best way it looks in the classroom is just trying to have these open and honest conversations with children when they're still young. I think we often lose the idea that when they're younger, they often don't have a lot of the garbage and baggage that comes in from social media, from hearing things from other people. And they, they will come with a certain amount of things, but they're going to be more open and honest. They don't have as much of a guard is what I mean. They know enough. They have the perspective, but they don't come in with as heavy of a guard as perhaps adults do. And I think you just have to have those open, honest conversations. Sometimes things are going to get ugly and that has to be allowed because sometimes things need to be said so that things can get fixed, so that things can come to a consensus. It's an when things are uncomfortable, you don't necessarily have just a pleasant little conversation about it. People's feelings are going to get hurt. People are going to have things trampled on. And I guess this is where you get to say, like, a lot of Caucasian people get to tap out of the race idea. And that's why a lot of people or a lot of Caucasians aren't going to have these conversations because they're I, right now. I know I have family members who probably if they did watch one, won't watch it because they'll see the topic Two, if they did probably wouldn't agree with things I said. And I don't care. But 
there are certain people that will try to avoid those tensions within their family. And so they won't come out and say things. And I think what happens is you have to humanize the situation. So that's why I had those conversations in the classroom, because when you have a diverse group of children and they can each say it from their perspective, now we've humanized the situation. Now we've, now we've moved past the idea of just trying to imagine it from somebody else's perspective, but we've actually heard the other perspective. It's been humanized. That's how you get people to stand up for each other. That's how you get people to identify with each other so that when they look at another human being, they don't have to see the, their skin color. They don't have to see their gender. They can just identify as being another human being, having a human experience. That's because we have to have these conversations, but some people just want to back down. They don't want to have them because they're afraid of what's going to come up. You'll, so you've had to have that conversation with, like you right now have family members that won't even uh, acknowledge this conversation at all. I have family members who say racist things. And when I try when myself or other family members try to explain to them that it's racist, they like, they act like they don't understand what we're talking about. And that is the most frustrating when people are racist and it's like, they can't, they put blinders on and it's like, do you even get it? Or are you actively not getting it because that's easier for you? I think it's the secondary one. Oh. I was going to say briefly that um, as we talked earlier, white people being a majority don't have to deal with the issue. But worse than that, again, we talk about the societal or systemic or institutional racism, or the, I call it what it is, it's racism or systemic, institutional, societal, white supremacy. It's not racism per se, you know, in the um, general sense. It is an underlying bias and underlying worldview that is actually subconscious in most cases. So I'm not saying it's that it's any less dangerous that it's subconscious. For example, if if me and Rick went out and we went up to a German shepherd and we shot in the head and it was on video, that would be on a lot of white people's pages right now. <laughs> and, you know what? and you know what? Those white people would have no problem coming on camera right now. Oh, for they'd, sure. be losing, they'd, be, for they'd, dog, they'd yes. be losing their mind but for that we killed an animal. But for some right? reason, they will yeah. not come on and talk and, about it. And if we, if we use a justification, well, I felt my life was in danger from this German shepherd. It could be a Roddy. It could be him. It didn't matter. We shoot this dog. It's over with. We're going to jail. There ain't going to be no 14, two-month wait. We're going to jail next day. It's going to be outrage. White people might be picking in somebody's house. Then let me explain why I brought that up. The dog is more human in these people's eyes than me or Rick would ever be. And this comes back to American culture. Black people have been dehumanized in this country ever since we got here. We were dehumanized at the, at the, end of the, or at the beginning of the Civil War. We were dehumanized. <clears throat> At the end of the Civil War, we're dehumanized. Throughout the whole Jim Crow era, we're dehumanized. All right? Then, it's 2020 and we're still dehumanized. Re remember when Mel Gibson had said that uh, he hoped his, uh, I think, ex-wife was raped by a pack of black men? Didn't use the term black men, though. Okay? That just lets you know that there is a subconscious thing there that people dehumanize black people, particularly black men. We're not human, we're beasts, we're animals, you know? 
oversex crazed. We can dunk basketballs and box and do all the athletic things because that animal prowls that we have, you know, and white women want us because of this animal prowls we have and our large penises and stuff like that. This is going on in people's head. And whether they want to, like as, as Jack Nicholson said, a few good men, whether you want to talk about it at parties or not, this is what it is. So you have to first see someone as human. So we can't even get to the point of dealing with law, dealing with the fact that this guy, this, 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 that people are getting killed, um, unarmed black men getting killed by some armed vigilante white dude because he feels unsafe. We can't even get to that because at the end of the day, we have to first be seen as human beings and we're not. <clears throat> And that, and, in the, and no matter what, people don't check their subconscious biases because this is ingrained, this is taught. This is something that's taught. It's not like, you know, they have a class, you go to school, okay, let's teach about black men being not human. But it's taught, it's reinforced in our media, it's reinforced in entertainment, it's reinforced in sports, it's a reinforced concept. And people, once they accept that, you know, so, you know, white people don't want to talk about it because, a lot of white people believe, well, you know, I'm not racist. I have, you know, I have black friends or you're saying all white people are racist or or you want, you know, to raise a race war. And I'm the racist for you bringing it up as a black man. If I bring up these things, oh, my God, you're racist because I'm yeah. bringing up the fact that racism exists. So there's a lot of subconscious things in people's minds that get triggered whenever the, the, the idea of race comes up, because, again, ultimately comes down to us not being seen as human. Like I said, we kill that dog, me and Rick going to jail, all right? And that dog gets more human sympathy than if me or Rick got killed by two white guys. Well, what, 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 what were they doing? Where were they, were they, were they, did they make him feel threatened? You know, the dog could be growling his teeth at me. If he hasn't bit me yet and I shoot him, white folks will lose their mind. Well, and that was the thing with you. <clears throat> with uh, with one of the one of the deflectors as you mentioned earlier, Richard, that was uh, one of the indications or, or one of the deflectors that people I think utilized was um, him attempting to fight for his life because he's being chased by men with guns. Uh, you know, they said that he shouldn't have jumped on it. I think there was a comment that was going back and forth right before the show, uh, even that we were that uh, that that you 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 tagged me in, um, and the gentleman was was kind of adamant about the uh, he shouldn't have, have lunged at him with 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 the gun or he shouldn't have. Uh, charging him with the gun. Are you kidding me? Like you should have had the gun. <laughs> you're the aggressor with the gun. Like you right. have the gun in your hand. You are you are you are provoking this situation by having guns. Not just guns. Let's be clear. He didn't just they didn't just have guns. They had two shotguns. Two of them, one of him, two shotguns and one pistol. All of that because they wanted to make a citizen's arrest and potentially felt threatened. Knock it off. No, I, I'm no, I'm glad you brought this up because I wanted to touch base on that stupid comment that came in where he's like, well, and he this person puts a laughing emoji and it's like, well, he shouldn't have been the aggressor. Like, what kind what, what did he say? What kind of idiot, you know, goes after someone with a gun? Like, yeah, I'm sorry. Are are you not you, but are you that stupid? If someone points a gun in your face and you don't know their intentions, you don't go, Oh, okay, I'm sorry, whatever you say. You you don't know what you're going to do. You have to fight for your life. Now, put yourself in the position of an African-American with two white people chasing you with shotguns. And tell me you wouldn't be scared out of your mind and fight back. And it's ridiculous that people think otherwise. Ooh. 
Hey, I want to know any of those comments that say, oh, well, you know, who shouldn't have been over in a construction area or they shouldn't have been doing this. Anytime you say a, a black person shouldn't have been doing this or they look suspicious to me is the same as saying, well, that woman shouldn't have been wearing that dress or she shouldn't have got raped. It's Absolutely. the same darn thing. Well, there's a term that I recently learned about called white fragility that I want to get into a little bit later on. Uh, but I want to read a comment here. Kate Bradley uh, mentioned down here, dehumanizing black people allows white people to be complacent in promoting equality. Why would white people even address a quote unquote problem as long as they're not adversely affected? Um, and I think that goes back to to Richard's point. You know, black people have have been dehumanized since we were brought since blacks were brought to to the country, right? At the at the onset of chattel slavery, we were property. And we can't seem to break that mentality. And I'm wondering if there's anything that can be done to end that cycle. Like where where is where is the start of that outside of just having a conversation? You where have is to, the start of that? You have to restructure the schools. I'll tell you one thing. You take a the school children in a predominantly white neighborhood and the children in a predominantly black neighborhood and just switch their school building for one week. Just do that. Because I'll tell you, I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood and the school that I went to is not the same school that I taught at working in Joliet and the, what was available. And this is a 10 year difference. This is like a decade and a half difference of me being in school to me actually being a teacher in a classroom. I had more technology available to me a decade and a half previous being in that school, which is in a predominantly Caucasian neighborhood versus being in Joliet, which is the fourth largest city in Illinois in a predominantly minority district. And the problem is, is because we base schools funding predominantly on income tax. So we're basing the funding for school based on the value of the neighborhoods. How does that not systematically keep poor children poor and rich children rich? And unfortunately, we've also systematically set that up so minorities are living in those poor neighborhoods. To me, that's one of the biggest things we have to hit right off the bat. Go ahead, go ahead Richard, because I was going to say that kind of goes into your, your um, sentiment about you know, uh, holding elected officials accountable. Absolutely. In these predominantly black areas, be it Joliet, Aurora, Elgin, Chicago, or any place else in the country. Um, take Chicago public schools, for example. You know, those are schools that have issues, okay? There's disparity within their system where you have these magnet schools and you have these neighborhood schools and people got to test to go into a magnet school. And if you live in a neighborhood school, you don't test well, you're just out of luck. Ultimately, though, the per capita spending for the students is about the same in the city of Chicago in the magnet schools or the neighborhood schools. The problem is the accountability and what the parents are demanding or what they know to demand. You know, the biggest issue I would say in the school system actually starts in the grade school system, and that is the actual curriculum. Um, when I lived, I lived in the city of Chicago when one of my stepsons was in uh, kindergarten. And um, my nephew was also in kindergarten. He was in the Naperville, Aurora area. And Were you on the west I, side or the south side, Richard? I'm just curious. South side, 73rd. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. So the moment I realized when my stepson was talking to my nephew about the differences in what they were learning, there was such a vast difference at the kindergarten level. It was a vast difference. 
that I ended up taking my son out of private, out of out of public school and put him in private school. And that's one of the reasons I moved away from the city of Chicago was the education system. So ultimately, there's a difference. And it comes down to holding elected officials accountable. It comes down to holding that school board accountable. But, you know, so ultimately, if education is, is not fair, then you're going to get unfair outcomes, you're going to unequal outcomes. It's just that simple. Can I so, piggyback onto that curriculum piece real quick? Yeah. One of the challenges becomes where we see like a discrepancy in curriculum, because honestly, that is supposed to be state mandated. But the issue becomes is, like you said, it starts off different in kindergarten. It becomes where do the children come to school at? And the issue is we don't have a lot of support in our lower income neighborhoods. So those kids who are going more to daycare and not having a one-on-one -on -one stay at home parent or a grandparent who has the ability to be retired, staying home with them. They are not coming to kindergarten with the same level. So we have teachers who are having the challenge of you've got one kid who comes to school already knows their numbers, their colors, their ABCs, and another kid who doesn't know any of that yet. And so the issue becomes when you have a low income neighborhood, and earlier I did say income tax, I did say mean property tax. But when we have these low income neighborhoods where we have a, two parent working households and perhaps parents who had a lower education don't even know how to support their kids themselves sometimes is also an issue, especially sometimes if we have um, non-English speaking individuals as well in those low income neighborhoods. We have a larger number of children not coming ready to school. So the teachers have to essentially, I don't want to use the word dumb down, but they have to drop the curriculum to where their students are at. Because when you have 30 kids in front of you and 80% of them are at this level, that's kind of what it's going to become geared to. So again, this comes back to, to getting these early interventions in place in these schools. We need more pre-K in these neighborhoods who don't have you know this opportunity, the privilege for these children to have a parent at home with them because the system is set up so that both their parents have to be at work. Or even even when you're dealing with higher income areas, even if the parents are both working, in a lot of cases they are, their children are in different types of daycare where they are actually being educated. Correct. You know, they're not just at the neighborhood daycare, you know, at a girl down the street's house while you're working your CNA job and your other part-time job at Walmart and your other part-time job at Walgreens, they're at structured daycares that are teaching these children things. So they are also getting, you know, the, the fact is the social economics is the, the underlying problem that goes through the whole thing through it made through it the criminal justice system, during the education system, all that comes down to the social economics, the jobs that people have, the um the the pre-K that they have, as you talked about, you know, um the Head Start systems, you know, they want to defund those. Every time a Republican gets in in the federal office, they want to take that away. Anything to help single mothers or low-income parents in general. So again, that's the policy we should be seeking. But as long as it's as as it as long as it is an us versus them scenario, as long as long as it's those black people in those inner cities in Chicago are trying to take your tax money to do this, that's the problem. Because again, those black people in the inner city of Chicago to those other people are not even human beings. Right. We're just associated yeah. from where our tax money goes to. Right. What we don't realize is that what our tax money goes to is sort of a safety net 
for public safety because not everybody has family safety. I was, I had a, a kid at 18, so that's technically a teen mom. I went through a lot of stuff where I had to have support from my family. If I had to completely rely on public welfare, I would not be in the place I am. And that's what people don't get, that the systemic racism that comes from slavery, we're not many generations out. So it still has an effect because it affects family money. Minorities don't have often as much of a safety net within their own families. So we have to have these safety nets within our society. And the problem is, is that we don't see it. Because often if I were like, if I had a plate of food and somebody was hungry, most people would feed a hungry person. But when we're just completely blinded to where that charity is going to, People become detached. Like you said, it's dehumanized. Right. And what what you were saying in regard to um, um, was you were saying about, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought when you brought the food. But you were saying um, regarding, um, I, I'm sorry, I just lost Let, my well, train we, of thought. We can try to come back to that if it, if it, if it pops in. Let me know. I'm curious to know from you guys, uh, you know, there to me, there seems to be this driving sense of divide within our country um, right. that's stemming from our leadership. I don't know if you all feel that same way to me personally, you know, I think um, they're, 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 we had the last, the last administration seemed to be a little bit more of a united type of, of a country versus the current administration that we have now. I'll say that. Can, can I, I don't just, know if you all agree with that. I would disagree. Um, yeah, I, I, I would disagree. Um, I like, I, well, like I, don't know, I was watching. I was watching uh, uh, Michelle Obama becoming documentary on Netflix yesterday. I, I just I miss her. I'm sorry. Okay. I just, I miss yeah, her. Me too. But <laughs> let me say, I did remember. I did remember what I was going to say, Shannon. Oh, Shannon. Um, I was discussing the fact we were talking about um, the the money, what's being spent, and it comes down to an investment. It costs you what forty to fifty five thousand dollars a year to house an inmate. Right. right. It costs you probably around four to five thousand dollars for that head start. Right. And we have to look at what's an investment in society will get you a better outcome, will get you an, a better outcome of a citizen, as opposed to looking at it as the immediate, oh my God, we're funding a head start and things like that. But to Rick's point about the country being united. When President Obama got elected, I of course I voted for President Obama, and as you all know or you don't know, I am actually a Republican. I was going to vote for Senator McCain. Don't think I knew I that. Vote, I was going to vote for Senator McCain first. I didn't even see Obama coming. I thought for sure he's going to be running against Hillary. All right. When I started seeing him talk, go, talking, you know, and debating with Hillary, I was like, okay, that's interesting. I'm still a Republican. I'm a military guy. Vote for McCain no matter what. And what made me not vote for McCain was not so much Senator Obama, but was Sarah Palin. <laughs> she kept nominated for my president. And I, I felt sorry for Senator McCain. And at that point is when I began to see the polarization that we see now. It was latent, it was underlying, it has always been there. And President Obama getting elected actually triggered, you know, this whole Tea Party movement, this whole what I call a white nationalist movement within the Republican party. And when Obama got elected, I couldn't believe the hate and discontent I was hearing for this guy. I, I, I couldn't believe it. I was, I, was, I was literally shocked when I, you know, I was in Indiana. I got emails from the Republican party in Indiana, you know, that basically were saying that 
basically like the Stalin that took over, you know, he's a communist. I thought they were jokes because Republicans do sometimes joke and say that uh, liberals are socialists or communists, but they were dead serious. All right. And it got worse as time went on. You know, I, I think I don't think that he divided the country by his leadership. I believe his presence as president, it, it, it exposed the fissures that were already there. And it really showed us that the Confederacy is alive and well, honestly speaking, because if you look at those red states, you compare it to Confederate map, it's pretty close to the same damn thing. So I think it just showed that those historical, um, those historical breaks in our country were still present. And Trump won by exploiting the, the what we what the, the ugly face of America that came out while Obama was president. Trump exploited it and he turned it up a whole nother level by speaking directly to white nationalism, you know, and speaking towards that. Well, let me ask you this, guys, and just out of curiosity, you know, I, I think that there seems to be a divide between also, you know, not just kind of um, north, north and south, right? We'd like to believe that that the north has a, a, a better a bit of a better handle on racism than the south. I don't necessarily think that that's true, but we know that you know you you, you tend to kind of see these issues come up um, in the in the south, but there's a long list of these these situations these cases coming up right there's a long laundry list in fact if you as have seen on going around on social media the um, the black people are tired post and all of the hashtags of the different names um span across across our country um ranging from things like carrying a bag of skittles to jogging to uh driving in a car or being broken down on the side of the road um uh, i don't know about you but you know, to me, that that's that's definitely where I'm at. Like, I'm I'm tired of posting. I'm tired of the hashtags. I'm tired of uh, of the marches that we've all done. Right? The, the black people have have done uh, militant marches as well as peaceful marches. Right? We've we we've tried to, to to get in line and vote, and and we have issues there. Like, there's there we just we seem to continuously come across uh, not being able to move the needle here. And I don't know. Like, I don't. I, I'm I'm out of kind of ideas of what what can be done next. Other than saying, "Hey, white people, uh, you know, talk to the, the straight white men, the cisgendered men that 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 set the standard, um, and and start making some changes, like start holding people accountable, start putting people in office that actually see us as human beings." Or, "Hey, how about you start seeing us as human beings yourselves?" Like, how 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 does that conversation? How do you do that? Well, honestly, I see, and this is where I, I'm. We're very ignorant to our own privilege. And the problem is you get, uh, I really don't want to name drop, but I'm just going to do it anyway. You get people like Steven Crowder who talk about white privilege being a myth. Um, and they just, it drives me nuts because I used to think like that. And I'm just like, oh, you just, you don't understand that the simple fact that just because there are no maybe current laws in place restricting African-American rights doesn't mean that there isn't privilege for the white community. The African-American community has been, uh, uh, I don't want to say oppressed, but they were oppressed for how long? Like mm -hmm. it, it, that doesn't, doesn't go away overnight. And to me, what we need to start doing is standing up. And it kind of, it not only infuriates me, but it's kind of embarrassing that I actually had to make a post and say, is there any white people that will come on camera and condemn the actions of the McMichael brothers? Like, why? Why is this so hard? Like, and that's what I think we need to start doing. And I would like to point out that the the justice for McMichael group, uh, I got into three of them while we've been doing this. 
and I posted them. So anybody Oh, so the, the Justice, oh great, yes, great. Well, welcome to those if, that, are, that are in the Justice for McMichaels group. Thanks for joining us. Yes. Hopefully you're enjoying the conversation. And hopefully you're getting a real perspective now, turning off other news and learning a thing or two. Well, but that's a thing. Like, can can they actually, you know, when you talk about privilege, right? Privilege is something that you 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 don't you don't really know. And uh, something I wanted to to comment on too, Ethan, as you were saying, uh, real quick. Uh, let's not confuse uh, racism for bad people, right? Racism, just because someone is 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 a good person, doesn't mean that they're not racist. And I think that sometimes there's a there's a there's a there's this hard line in the sand that people think, specifically people with within that white privilege, who tend to think that if you're racist, you're a horrible person and you exemplify these horrible things. It's not the case. You have several people who are good good people who are still inherently racist. Right. Um, and and until we can we can we can start calling that that behavior out. Um, again, I I'm I'm personally and I think Richard and I might might kind of might differ a little bit here. Uh, I'm I'm throwing the onus on on on, on uh, straight cisgendered white men um, and, and and white women to hold them accountable for doing it too because blacks have been doing it for for, right. for six centuries now. I'm gonna say I sometimes I think people are like out protecting their racist grandma because like you said, there there can be a good person but also a racist person and we have sometimes a lot of elderly family members who grew up in a different time who have some more preconceived racist biases and a lot of Caucasians won't stand up because of those people in their family and because they oh they're you know just a good person and I don't want to upset them too bad they too bad that. I agree and that is exactly where it has to stop I think this becomes as simple as what we tell kids about bullying is you know you have the bully the victim and the bystander and there are too many Caucasians that are standing in the bystander moment that we're opting out because we can, because we have the privilege to. Mm -hmm. And that with that, you know, I, not to like get super nerdy, but with like great, it, you know, you, with that privilege, we also have a responsibility. I was going to make a Spider-Man yes. quote, but I held myself. <laughs> I'll, I'll pick the Spider-Man quote. No, like Wait, we got Super Rock and Superman. Yeah. Today. <laughs> <laughs> I like Peter. I, I would like to just so everyone knows within the next uh, probably 10, 15 minutes, we're going to bring people on just for a couple minutes to, to voice their concerns, um, show support uh, for Aubrey, and also condemn the actions of the McMichael brothers. So white people, my challenge to you, uh, if you want to come on the stream for 30 seconds, please put it in the comments. I can send you the link to come on the stream. We'll give you 30 seconds. And ideally, hopefully you can... Uh, voice your support for this and we can get more white people not being scared to come on camera because literally if your biggest concern is offending your family then that's not a concern this is a human life at stake so a human died who cares if you offend your family a and human is no longer with several us. humans have died and of course <laughs> i'm sorry I, i'm i'm only <laughs> no i got you no no, no. I, I, that, that's for them that's for them to hear hey, right screw being offended who cares if you piss your family off human life is more important but rick i'm sorry i'll go into a rant no, okay. the show is it's yours right. my friend <laughs> hey real quick i wanted to read a quote uh my sister carrie actually um is uh she's in uh, one of the chicago physicians uh, sits on the as a chair for the uh, diversity and inclusion board um, with our company and she said quote so i think when having discussions about race meaningful ones 
it's helpful to know what scholars are saying. Being able to identify what's happening in real time, for example, what white fragility is and what it looks like or centering or spiritual bypassing helps to uh, really address things as they occur. Call people in rather than out on their behavior because white people who haven't done their work or even the ones who, who have often fall back on these old hat behaviors. And it's important to know how to recognize and address them when they do happen. Like, so I, I, I found that to be kind of really prolific, right? Because it does take actual work that has to be put in. Right. There are there are things that 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 it's not just about speaking out necessarily on social media. There's this there was this post on Twitter I saw about being an ally. And I think I'll post this a little bit later on on my Facebook page. Please feel free to to check it out. But it was really kind of a checklist of what are you or how are you actually being an ally? If you're really being an ally, what does that look like? Right. Are you checking your biases? Are you are you defensive when 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 someone of a marginalized group tells you how they're feeling? Do you immediately go to uh, reverting to how they're wrong, or you know, so on and so forth? It was a, it was really a great checklist, but uh, mm -hmm. I think that quote really stood out to me in that there takes some work to be done. Um, the black community, the marginalized communities, have been doing it for decades. Now it's time for you know the the our, our Caucasian white Americans to step up and 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 take that take that responsibility. But Again, I think Richard and I differ a little bit on, on, um, on having groups, the, the groups to to actually step up and, and hold people accountable. Because I think I, I want to say that you know our community as a black community uh, should, because we have enough people to do it. Um, but when it comes to like the younger generation, uh, I don't, I just don't know. I don't know if they have you know what it takes. As my mother used to say they haven't seen the suffering, they haven't seen the slavery, they haven't seen the Jim Crow, they haven't seen the uh, Martin Luther Kings and the Malcolm X's, so they don't really know what it means to unite as, as a race of people um, to be able to make the changes that were made back in the civil rights movement days. I'm gonna have to agree with you. Obviously the civil rights movement being a different point in history and things being what they were. Obviously, I always say the beginning of African-Americans actually being citizens of this country um, begins with the end of the civil rights movement. So we say 1964, 1965. So that's five years before I was born. All right. So we're basically the first generation of African-Americans to be born into legal equality. So, yeah, you know, the, the, the millennials and our children and grandchildren they haven't seen anything like this. They have a degree of um, a separation from that point in history and living in modern society, which is very different. That's why I guess my problem a lot of times when I'm talking to people um, on the left with this, with this is they always want to contextualize it as Jim Crow or slavery. And I'm thinking, okay, this is something different we have here right now. These are, we need to identify what the actual problem is and then we need to deal with it. But I think we already identified what the problem is. The last vestige of Jim Crow and slavery is the dehumanization of black people. We have to teach young people, and I think we're doing a good job with that because I don't think it is as bad with the younger generation regarding seeing each other as human beings. That's the primary thing. You can't care about Aubrey if you don't see him as human. You can't care about uh, uh, Trayvon Martin if you didn't see him as human. 
And well, to me, the people that were speaking out trying to justify the murder of, Tr of Trayvon Martin or justify the murder of Laquan McDonald or trying to justify the murder of Aubrey here, they were doing so because as far as they're concerned, these weren't human beings. These are not human beings. So that the very base thing of being seen as human is what we have to make make people understand. As far as you know, when you and I talked about allies, I honestly, I'm good. Can I be? Can I be frank? Go ahead, be frank. All Go right. ahead. I can't stand that term ally. It irritates okay. me. Okay. And let me tell you why. Either you're a decent human being or you're not. That's it. I don't care if you're my ally. I Either like you that. are a decent human being that can that can see other humans suffering and give a damn, or you don't. I'm not giving you the out of, I need you to be an ally of my community. Forget that. I don't need you to be an ally. I need you to be a decent human being. I need you to be a decent citizen and stand up for the rights of other citizens, even if they don't share your color or your sexual orientation or your gender or your sexual identity. You need, like, I was, you know, I, I have a, a, a lesbian friend of mine. She's a liberal. And we talk about, you know, lesbian issues. She tells me, you know, give me an understanding of the LGBTQ community. And um, I'm, a, you know, I'm a house music DJ, so I already obviously know a lot of yeah, people, Your house but, music definitely right, right. you're familiar with the community. <laughs> but we talk, and she always says, oh, you sound like a feminist when I'm talking about women's rights. I said, I'm not a feminist. I'm just a decent human being that understands that women have the same rights that I do. I understand that I can't just go touch women because I want to. I understand that a woman doesn't have to smile at me because she doesn't have to. These are basic human things. So when we compartmentalize that, well, you know, you're you're allied to feminists if you believe women should have equal rights. No, I'm actually a human being that believes all of us deserve human rights and every American citizen deserves the the, the inalienable rights that we, that we supposedly have on paper. So, again, it's that, not about that, being yeah, allied, it's about being a decent human being and teaching our children to be decent human beings who actually give a damn about other people, regardless they look like you or not. I think like what you and, and, and Cynthia actually commented too as well and said that the younger generation, I, you know, they're, they're, they're really kind of being activated there. This, you know, you're right. This, that generation, um, they came up with, with terms that I never would have thought of. Like who thought of pansexual? I, you know, like they're really encompassing, you know what I mean? Like an entire generation to say, yes, we're all human beings. We accept, like they came up with that term. I'm like, I, it wasn't even a thing. You know what I mean? So I, you're right. I know, you're I, absolutely right. I would also say that we're getting a little bit better, too, about how we present things to young children. And I think that also changes it. For example, when I was in my bachelor's program, I actually took a class on diversity in the classroom, which taught us as educators to be mindful of the images that we show young children. So, for example, as a science teacher, if I'm going to present um, different scientists to my students, I need to make sure that I have an equal representation of African American, Hispanic, and white scientists presented to my students. And that is not something that I don't think was necessarily done decades ago. So we had generations of children growing up not seeing themselves represented within society. And also we had decades of Caucasians not seeing minorities represented in those areas when they didn't necessarily grow up around minorities. So if you weren't necessarily growing up in an area where you grew up around black people, Mexican people, something other than your own race, you didn't have that outside exposure. Whereas we're now telling public educators, this is something you need to be mindful of, that you need to make sure that you're teaching children that they see 
a diversity, not just in race, but a diversity in abilities, in gender. We're, you know, we're trying to teach children to be more accepting off the base in school. And I think that also sometimes helps when maybe they're not getting it at home, that it sometimes helps that they're going to get this exposure when maybe the home isn't necessarily as accepting because they're going to come to an age where they can make that decision for themselves. And if they have enough empathy taught at a young age, they're going to have that ability to become old enough and to understand it. So if they're given that human perspective within the school, that humanization within the school is going to help them to possibly diverge in their thinking from what they've been taught at home. Hey. Can we get that in the rural areas? I don't know. I'm just some of those rural areas in the South and even in the Midwest, I'm questioning. Go ahead. You got to yeah. get educator buy-in, you know. <laughs> so, um, we do have a, a few guests waiting in the studio. So if we could just right. maybe quickly bring those on. I'd like to welcome yeah. our, our first guest, uh, Kenneth. How you Yo, doing? Man. I'm good, man. It's just hard listening to, to the fact that we're still talking about. I mean, there's just so much progress that needs to happen. Um I uh, I was thinking about something. I was listening to you guys. So I, mean, I just want to talk a little bit about my own history of ignorance. So I grew up in, in, in Southern California and where I grew up, um, it was just a, a very, very diverse part of the part of the United States. And racism wasn't something that was on my mind. I, I, I really thought that we lived in like a post-racial society. And when I joined the army, I got sent to live in Georgia and South Carolina and North Carolina. And I, I started to see that I was just completely wrong and that I, I, I didn't even know how wrong I, I was. I couldn't even comprehend my own level of ignorance. And then when I, when I was going to law school, I was living in New York when, when um, Eric Garner got murdered by the NYPD and, you know, Black Lives Matter was really starting to gain some, some momentum and it just it just blew my mind how many people, how many white people that I knew that were my colleagues felt like they had the answers. And it's just, it's so obvious to me that the best thing people can do if you want to be a, a quote unquote ally is just, just listen. Don't upset Richard. We just got that. Don't, don't upset Richard anymore. We're not I, I know, I know. I'm <laughs> just saying, it's like, just, just like the best thing you can do is listen and recognize that that your experiences that, that you 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 can't put yourself fully in the, in the other person's shoes and there's almost a, a level of arrogance to even thinking you can empathize and that that the best thing you can do is keep your mouth shut and your ears open and and just listen um i don't know that that seems seems to me like the the best thing that people in my position can do uh so I take it that you stand with the mom. Sympathize. You can never sympathize because you've never been through it. But to well, empathize is just to m- imagine right. how bad that must be. And that's just to understand human suffering. Right. No, and, and, I'm, and, and obviously we can all understand in the abstract, you know, human suffering. But I mean, I, I, what, I'm, what I'm sort of hoping to caution people against is feeling like you can really know that you can really understand what it's like to be in the other person's shoes when your lived experience is, 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 you know, necessarily different. Um, 
I, yeah, I, it just seems to me that being compassionate, um, and, and, and just be just listening and recognizing that you don't have, like all the people who jumped out being like, well, maybe the statute allows for a certain citizen to rest in certain, <laughs> like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, just shut your mouth. Like, well, so, well, so, and I, and I hear what you're saying, Kenneth. I, I, I understand there was a situation where there was an offender who was locked up and um, he was from out of state and he was in here in Illinois. He's from California. And uh, it was funny because he was a crip and uh, I was making Snoop Dogg jokes to him, but <laughs> walked past him and he was like, man, this sucks. I got to get up out of here. I got to go. I got to go back to California. And we was like, oh, uh, my, my guy was like, I feel you, man. He said, no, you don't feel me, but you hear me, though. And I had to think <laughs> about what he said. <laughs> like, You're right. I don't feel I'm not in behind those bars. You are. That's so I can't I can't feel you, but I do hear you. And I do understand what you're saying. So I understand, you know, that's what you're saying there. So, so Kenneth, let me ask you, are you, uh, are you standing with the mod? I mean, if, yeah, like from where I'm seeing, like the, yeah. everything that I've seen, it, it, it looks from, from my limited perspective. Um, I mean, I, I would say that I'm very comfortable saying the man was murdered. The man was murdered. Yeah. Um, are you, are you able to, would you share this, uh, this, this, this uh, stream on your page? Yeah. Fantastic. Way, way to put him on the spot. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, all right. All right, so, all right, Kenneth, I'm going to follow you just to make sure I can see this on your page. Do it. <laughs> uh, thank you, Kenneth. We're going to bring on our next guest. But uh, appreciate it. Thank you so yeah, much. Thanks for, having me. thanks for having the conversation, guys. Yeah, thank, thank you, Kenneth. Thank you. All right. So next up, we do have Samantha. Uh, hey, Samantha. Hey, guys. How hey, are Samantha. you? Hey, Samantha. Welcome. Welcome on the show. I, I hear you have an interesting perspective. Um, so to give you guys a small backstory, because I can kind of go on a rant like Ethan. Um, I'm half black, Sorry. I'm half white. <laughs> I'm half black, I'm half white. Um, I was raised primarily by my white family. I have experienced extreme privilege being light skinned, lighter complected, and I never really, um, what happened to Rick? I don't know, but keep talking. It's live. Okay. So we'll figure it out. <laughs> I I hadn't um I hadn't quite really saw these issues in the light that I do now. Um, my mom never talked to me about this type of stuff. You know, my parents are still together. My dad's black. My mom's white. Uh, my dad briefly talked about it here and there. Um, so if. Um, I can get a little personal. I actually took it upon myself to bring up the topic to my mom, which I hadn't before. And um, I was telling Ethan, you know, when I brought it up to her, you know, those deflections you guys were talking about in the beginning were some of the first things that she said. It was quite disappointing hearing this from my own mom because I heard you guys talk about the types of people that would use these deflections. Now, understand this is someone who has black children, someone who's married to a black man. Um, it was quite hurtful. And the fact that I have a black daughter and a black son. Now, I didn't start paying attention to these types of issues and acknowledging real privilege until I had my son. Um, when I had my son, I started to realize that he was even treated differently in school, in his preschool. He's only two. And um, so I was expressing this to my mom, just using her as an example here, because this is many people. Uh, my mom, was very defensive 
and very ignorant. And I won't get into the comments that were made, but I'll say that guns, knives, whatever physical weapons we want to call weapons aren't the real problem. The weapon is white ignorance. The weapon is the, uh, the lack of willingness to acknowledge white privilege, right? And the same white ignorance, the same ignorance that I feel like um, my mom had or my grandmother, who's pretty openly racist, um, has is the exact reason why my people have died and the exact reason why people are still dying today. And I found it hurtful, I found it offensive, and I don't think they quite understand, like, I didn't do anything, I'm not my ancestors, I didn't, you know what I mean? But understand that that same ignorance you think is this tiny is exactly what, you know, what's his name, Travis or Greg McMichael, you know, they probably said similar things thinking that that was harmless, right? And look at how that ended up. Now, I don't know them personally, I'm just saying that this fear, this ignorance, this lack of knowledge, that's the real weapon here. And I feel like as a white person, as any colored person, you are, you have a duty to acknowledge white privilege. You have got to acknowledge the privilege at least that much. That's the least you can do. So uh, real quick, Samantha, can we say safely say you are on the side of, uh, 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 I don't want to say the name wrong, I'm sorry. Um, no, I, I, I fully support condemning the actions of Gregory and Travis McMichael against Ahmad. There's absolutely nothing that would justify what was done to him. I don't care what he stole. I don't care if he was look, like I've looked through um, construction sites before myself. I'm, I've jogged myself. Run up on me and see what happens. I mean, I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine. And to see this happy little you know, picture that's going around of him, right? I look and I see my son, my son's happy, smiley face. And I can't, my last thing I wanna say is how I feel personally as a, as a mixed race person, half black and half white, any white person that cannot empathize, that cannot acknowledge white privilege. I'm, I'm not speaking to my mom right now, it's quite sad, or my grandmother or my family. Um, but anybody who cannot acknowledge the privilege for me, you lack the ability to empathize with me, which means that you lack the ability to love me and part of me the way I need to be loved. And so you can't truly have love for humanity when you lack empathy towards any of them. No, I agree. And I want to ask you, Rick, I think your mic is muted right now, just so you know. I, I don't know why, but I'm not hearing you. So how would you react? I know this is a, just real quick. Imagine if two guys were chasing after you with guns. Would you immediately be like, oh, hands up? Or would you not be fearing for your life and try and fight back? Because who knows what they're going to do? You don't know who these guys are. Like, wouldn't you fight back? I mean, I, I guess. I would do exactly what I saw in that video. I, exactly. I saw a struggle. I, I. I really can visualize this happening and I just, I immediately feel scared, terrified, and 
confused. Can you imagine how that man felt in his last moment? No, it just drives me nuts that people don't see that. They're laughing it off and just- And the thing that I'm trying to communicate to people such as when me and my mom had this conversation is you're making, I don't care what your grandparents taught you. You can't hide behind that anymore. At some point we're all adults and we can make a conscious decision, right? To acknowledge the truth, right? When you're coming up with all the what ifs, even when I'm telling you what it is, and you mm -hmm. still want to say things and throw it out there to justify it. I was kind of commenting earlier. I feel that a lot of it comes from a sense of guilt. I feel like at first, before I became passionate about these things, I used to go, gosh, why is Cairo's dad so angry all the time? He's racist. Why doesn't he like white people? And it, I was, I was, I wasn't, I wasn't seeing it the way I was supposed to be seeing it. I didn't understand his pain. I didn't understand. I didn't, I didn't understand until I had my son. And now I get it. And now I get the anger, you know? Thank you. Um, I just wanted to say, I appreciate you coming on and being willing to do this. So uh, yeah, I thank, thank you for sharing you. your story. Thank you, thank you so you, much. Thank you, Susan. Thank you. Thanks. That was uh, very educational. That was something that- uh, Wait, did everybody hear me? Am yes, I back, am I back here again? We have okay, four guests. Uh, I want to get this next okay. just real quick. Um, and then we're going to move on to Cynthia. Hi, Tiffany. Hi. Hi, so, Tiffany. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Hi, guys. You are on the side of compassion and love, correct? Yeah. Um. So would you, uh, you show your support uh, for Aubrey and... Uh, Sorry that. Uh, Absolutely. And condemn I condemn those actions. Those are murderers, and it was it was an act of hatred, and it was not okay. Um, I come from a, a minority-rich neighborhood. Um, I come from a low-income town. I'm from Beloit, Wisconsin. Um, and I've had a very unique upbringing. Um, my grandparents walked in civil rights walks. Um, my mother passed that down to me. My brother was part of a group called Timitemba out of South Africa, and it means Team Hope, and they would travel from village to village over there teaching about AIDS and how to protect themselves and then come to the States and teach people in the States about apartheid and how recently that had been abolished. Um, and that was probably the moment in my life where it really occurred to me, like racism is still all around us. It's, it's everywhere. And to not acknowledge it just allows that problem to continue and now I'm raising four children on my own and trying to make sure that they stay on the side that I'm on because over this last week, I've lost like five friends or people I thought were friends um, because it turned out that they're just these, these cool people and I can't allow that mentality in my heart. It's not like I'm going to fight them. Fighting them honestly just 
gets them all riled up and more angry. But I can't allow them my soul as a sacrifice. I, I can't I, say it's okay. Well, I, I, Tiffany, I want to thank you so much for coming on and, and showing your support for the situation. So thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. I want to bring on our last guest who can help us resume for the rest of the show. Cynthia. Oh, Happy. To say happy birthday because she wanted a song. She told me she, she wanted a, a happy I birthday did. song. I did. But I don't know if it's against the copyright infringement laws to actually mm. sing happy birthday these days. Mm. Mm. It's a thing. That's what they told us in the restaurants, at least. But happy well, birthday. Thank you. Now, I think I told you specifically that I needed your partner and you to come up with an arrangement in soprano, alto, tenor, and bass. I know, and we talked about it, and when he gets when he gets home from work, you'll work on that, and we'll get that over to you. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm I'm looking for that. I'm looking for that in my inbox. I'm just letting you know. Okay, right all now. right. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, What's going yeah. on? Um, so I, I really wanted to thank Kenneth, uh, Tiffany, and Samantha for sharing um, their solidarity as far as like this particular uh, topic is concerned. Um, I, I really do wish that uh, more people who may not necessarily be exposed to the whole dynamic of race would really speak out because at the end of the day, this is a humanistic issue as well. It's not only, it's not only just a race issue, it's a humanistic issue. Um, be, and I think that one of the things that um, we, that may, people may not necessarily, necessarily understand, I'm pretty sure that Richard can corroborate this, is the history concerning race and what we're seeing today. So when you're looking at these two uh, men who I immediately forgot their names, who actually um, pursued um, Ahmad and, um, and ended up in an altercation and eventually killed him. Um, this is the same type of uh, situation that you would see oftentimes um, back in the day when slavery was still um, in um, still at an institution in slave patrols. Um, slave patrols, uh, as, as far as like, you know, um, bounty hunters would be activated to go after slaves and they would bring them oftentimes in a similar way. It would be better alive because they would get more money, of course, from like any type of any time that they actually capture the slave. Um, but you know, if they if they died in pursuit, then they died in pursuit, and there will never be any type of repercussion. And um, and now we're seeing, you know, I think that I wrote a, a poem uh, about how many names. I mean, like you know, we can talk about Eric Gardner, Sarah Bland, uh, Trayvon Martin, you know, Rakia uh, Boyd. I mean, like all these different people that have lost their lives unnecessarily, you know, because you know people are still in these uh, mindsets when it comes to race and how uh, black Americans should be treated because we never completely left the institution of what it really meant to be a slave. You know, the whole purpose yeah. of slavery, uh, especially when you even look at the way that they were counted as three-fifths of a person is not even to look at them as a person. They were chattel, they were property. 
Yeah. You can't look at any body and consider them human if you're going to consider them property. So when you, you know, like I, I try to be very gentle with my car because I just paid it off and I'm not trying to buy another one no time soon. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to actually uh, speak to my car or actually deal with my car like I would like, you know, you, Rick, or you, Richard, or you, Shanna. Or Appreciate you. that. That depends on what kind of car you have now. What kind of car do you have? Because if you if you got, you know, something along the lines of maybe a BMW-ish, you, could, you can speak to me like you speak to BMW. Not at all. I'm a social worker, so you know I ain't got no money. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Gotcha. <laughs> I'm happy for my Ford Explorer. But anyway, <laughs> but, you know, but but regardless, like, you know, you're going to treat a thing or property or something that you purchase differently than you would a human being. And oftentimes this is something that we're continuously seeing recycled in our society. And these tropes about, you know, like even when you are talking about earlier, like how black men are, even when Samantha was talking about how uh, her son is looked at and how he's treated because he, you know, at a, even though that she is a biracial person, you know, the first thing that any person is going to see when they look at her child, you know, depending on who the father is, is a black child, you know, yep. and that is going to automatically come with all types of baggage that have been perpetuated from generation after generation after generation. So we're going to continuously see these things constantly recycle over and over again. You know, and, and it's not going to, it's not, and it's to the point where we're going to see it in a red state. We're going to see it in a blue state. You know, uh, we, majority of us, I believe, are all in the Chicagoland area. And Chicago has an abysmal record when it comes to police treatment of Black folk, period. Well, and that's a, that's a very same thing that we were talking about a little earlier, too, yeah. with how the cover-up that took place in Georgia was very similar to the cover-up that, that happened here with Laquan McDonald. Cynthia, I, I hate to cut you off, but I'll, let me yeah. let me ask you. So, of course, I'm I'm going to assume that you are standing with uh, Justice for for Ahmad and uh, uh, condemning the actions of the McMichaels. Of course, I am, and I'm hoping of that course. we can talk about this a little bit more tomorrow on our show on 13. <laughs> hey, that's, that's that's good. Good. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait! I forgot to ask. I forgot to ask the most important question, Cynthia. What is the 13 percent? The 13 percent actually represents the population, um, the the uh, the Black American population um, here in America. So, like you know, people who actually descend from chattel slavery, Black Americans who have been here for generation after generation, we share about 13 percent of the population. So, we want to talk about issues that actually deal with the 13 percent. And when is that show on the air? It will be on tomorrow, Ethan. I'm so glad that you asked. <laughs> <laughs> and sorry, sorry, sorry. What time is that show on? I believe that that will be 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. Central Daylight, uh, daylight Time, but yes. Central Daylight, daylight Time, yes. <laughs> wait, wait, and will this, be, will this be broadcasted on YFNA News Network? Or will this be broadcasted on YFNA News? The news is who designed YFNA News Network on YouTube? Um, and, and, and Cynthia, who designed the YFNA News Network logo? <laughs> that would be me, Ethan. That is such an awesome design, too. Like, I, I, I need to reach out to you for some more of your, your wonderful work there. That was great. Oh, no worries. <laughs> I know how to well, do that. 
<laughs> I think uh, I think it's uh, it's about time that uh, that we can kind of wrap this up, guys. I, I, this is this conversation can go on for duration of time, and it Absolutely. sounds like this conversation is going to continue tomorrow on uh, the thirteen percent uh, airing at six thirty p.m. Central Daylight Time. So make sure. And where can where can we find this stuff? YFNA News on YouTube, and where else? Where else can we locate this? Uh, this outstanding show, this conversation is going to continue. It will also be on facebook.com forward slash the friendly neighborhood atheist. It will be on uh, that page and it'll be on the YouTube YFNA news network. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Cynthia, happy birthday to you. Thank you so much for joining us as uh, that, that last guest on, in, on backstage. I'm sure Ethan did it on purpose so that we could all together say happy birthday to you. Um, His Imperial Majesty. Richard Gray. <laughs> he ain't gonna never let me live this down. <laughs> you, listen, you put that, and I was, I was, it was, I had to, I had to use it. Any last words, thoughts, or, or uh, anything you want to share for before we wrap this up? Um, again, I was glad to hear from all your guests, and I don't want to seem like I'm dismissive of allies, like I'm saying, but I just believe you just got to be a decent human being, man. Right. And you got to be able to see people as people, because, it, like I said, I stand by what I said. If if me and Rick go shoot a dog right now, we're going to jail. Bruh. And there's going to be white folk protesting and going to see us dealt with. <laughs> and they're not going to say, no one's going to say, well, the dog was barking too loud at him and they felt threatened. They're not going to say that. <laughs> All right. And so, if, especially if, if we are yeah. in the suburbs. So, yeah. so if, if you well, can see a dog in some type of humanity, I would hope that you would start extending that to African Americans. And ultimately, you know, when I talked to you, Rick, the other day, I said, I'm kind of over white people with this, meaning that I'm like, um, I don't care anymore. I'm at a point where I'm beyond caring what white people think or what they have to say. You know, I'm kind of um, a little bit more militant about it. You know, I'm a by any means necessary type of guy. And I think that we as black people need to organize amongst ourselves and do for self. And as far as I'm going to say this, I jog, I got a Glock. You run up on me, it's over with. And I can, I, right now, I encourage any African-American male that can legally get one, legally get you a concealed carry and legally carry your Glock. Because at the I'm end of the day, rather be judged by 12 than carried by six, as the uh, 20th century philosopher O'Shea Jackson Ice Cube said in a yes, song. All right, so yes, I mean, obviously, if they're not going to see you as human, and then you see you as somebody with a Glock. Yes, a well, I, I I appreciate that, man, and I, I'm definitely in the process of uh, considering that as soon as things open back up. Um, I don't know if that's considered essential right now, it's but uh, I, I definitely <laughs> need to go ahead and get get my uh, my, my my permit to carry um, as soon as possible. Miss um, uh, Shannon, real quick, I'm sorry. Uh, I think you have audio playing in the background. I had to temporarily mute your mic because I keep hearing uh, it's causing like some type of feedback. I don't oh, know if you're hearing that. Yeah, I didn't. I don't have any audio playing in the background. Okay, sorry, Rick. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. Uh, and and Shannon, anything else that you wanna you wanna wrap up with? And I would just, I think the main points here were just that you know as white population, we need to acknowledge what's going on. It's time to stop turning a blind eye. With white privilege, there's the option to tap out. Oh, no. Oh, no. 
turning a blind eye at this point is lowering yourself to the same level. That's how I feel at this point. Cool. Well, thank you so much to you as well, Shannon, for being a part of this conversation, this discussion, this, this, this discussion, excuse me. Um, Ethan Michael, the Ethan Michael. The Ethan uh, Michael. Host of, host of the Friendly <laughs> Neighborhood Atheist and now uh, launching YFNA News on YouTube. Any last words? Thank you so much for, for uh, the platform. Any last words you want to wrap up with? Uh, no, uh, except check out the 13%. Oh, you know what? There's one quick thing I do want to wrap up on. But yes, check out the 13% tomorrow at 6.30 uh, p.m. Central Daylight Time. Uh, real quick, I just wanted to speak to, and I don't want to reopen the conversation. Actually, I'm not even going to go there. Rick, just go ahead because this will open <laughs> another, it will open like another thing. So Rick, please, the the, the show is yours. Well, but... <laughs> I appreciate it. Now we want to know what you're going to say. Now we want to know. I know we got to get out of here. We got a few minutes left, Ethan. If you want to throw that out there, bro. No? Okay. All right. Well, to all of you who have gotten a chance to pay attention, uh, participate in this conversation, uh, share this on your uh, news feed, on your, on your wall, um, on your social media platforms. Get your family, your friends, your circle, whoever, your squad involved in the conversation. Join in this conversation. Um, don't be complicit. And really speak to to uh, standing with justice for a month. And, uh, you know, the actions of, of two murderers, uh, it's just, it's unacceptable. And the continued consistent racism in this country is unacceptable. And we need to have the conversations, white, black, um, Latinx, whatever it is. Have the conversations. Share this on your page. Thank you for watching. Make sure that you check out Color Full Circle, F-U-L-L, Circle. Follow us on, uh, with Rick and Al, follow us on Facebook. Um, and I appreciate you for being a part of this conversation tonight. Good night.